Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 47 of Western York Brews, Buffalo's beer and brewing podcast. My name is Scott. I'm a homebrewer just outside of Buffalo, New York. I'm a member of the Das Hasbrauer's Homebrew Club. And on this episode, I'm going to tell you who won the Buffalo Eats Bracket Contest that I put on a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to tell you what I'm doing for the next two weeks. And I want to tell you a story about why InBev sucks, if you need a story for that. So this is West New York Brews. I'll see you on the other side. So once again, my name is Scott, and thank you for listening. In fact, if you would like to do a little bit more, you can go to www.patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Brews if you would like to make a pledge to the show. I bring it up because we have our first pledger. Pledger? We have our first pledge coming from Mr. Andy Dvornsky of Clean Beer Initiative, and thank you so much. Anybody who would like to help out uh, just to help make the show a little bit more cost neutral instead of costing <laughs> to, to make it. Um, Andy is, is one of the, one of the people behind the clean beer initiative and you can find them at cleanbeerwny.com and on Twitter and on Facebook. And you can see the places where he is going in and cleaning the draft lines makes you feel better about going out somewhere. Uh, last night, my parents called me, said they were going out to the poorhouse for 70 cent wings. The price of wings is going up. It's crazy. But I knew that that's a clean beer initiative bar. So I knew that I would be getting clean beer. I didn't go out last night and I'll explain that in just a little bit. First, I wanted to get into the... Elimination Bracket, put on by Buffalo Eats. That was their Twitter poll. They had a bunch of Twitter polls uh, going back a couple of months to the wing one, and then just a couple of weeks ago to the Taco Battle, the best uh, brewery, the best chicken finger sub, the best beef on weck. I think I might be missing one. But either way, for the Buffalo Eats best brewery battle, wow, it was a lot of bees. I put together a small little bracket contest where people could fill out a bracket to see how people in Buffalo would have voted. And the person who got the most points would get a $15 gift card to consumers so that I could, quote unquote, buy them a growler fill. So here's how I scored it. There were 16 seeds out of the, I think, 25 Buffalo breweries. And if you got the first round correct for each one you got correct from the first 16, I gave you one point. So there were a total of eight possible points in that first uh, round to get to the Elite Eight. And then in the final four, if you got any of those correct, I gave you two points for each one you got correct. And then if you got the uh, final correct, the finals, I gave you three points for uh, guessing the last two. And then four points if you picked the correct winner. So we had a handful of submissions on Twitter, a handful of submissions to my email at scott at wnybrews.com. And after tallying all of that in the 4321 uh, system, we have a tie. We have a tie for winners at 17 points with Sarah Rosenberry and Matt Wilcott. I'm looking up Matt's right now. Matt Wilcott. Matt had one half of it absolutely dead on. 
Uh, he had Big Ditch, Resurgence, Woodcock, and Ellicottville, then Big Ditch and Ellicottville, and then Big Ditch. Uh, and then the other side, he had a lot that was correct, ended up not picking the correct winner, so he ended up with 17 points. And Sarah got a lot correct on each side, but then also picked the winner correct, and they both tied with 17 points. So Sarah and Matt, I will get a hold of you via email or via um, Twitter, and we can see whether you want a gift card from consumers or whether you just want to meet out somewhere, and I'll buy you the drinks in person, which is also a lot of fun. So these next two weeks, though, I am not drinking. I am giving it a shot to see how I can do for two weeks. I'm recording this on day two. In fact, yesterday was the first day, and I brewed a porter, and it's really hard to not have a beer while you're brewing beer uh, as a home brewer. <laughs> I imagine it's a lot easier as a pro brewer because you're doing it so much more often. But for me, that's that's one of the things. You go outside, you start brewing some beer, and I like to drink the style that I'm brewing. So I like to get a couple of representative samples. I'll go out to the local beer store and come up with uh, good examples of porters, for example, for this last porter brew. And... Out of, almost out of habit, I found myself going to the beer fridge while I was brewing. Why am I going two weeks without drinking anything? Of course, I'm drinking uh, water and uh, healthy things, but no alcohol for two weeks. Just because. Um, really no reason. I thought after beer week, this is after beer week, why not give myself a couple of weeks, see if I lose any weight, see how much weight I'm carrying? just based on uh, the amount that I'm drinking, which is a normal amount. I'm not I'm not drinking a lot. So um, giving it the two weeks, seeing what happens, uh, seeing how I feel. Again, I feel fine, but who knows? Maybe I could feel better. So I'm going to give it the two weeks, and it's already been hard. It's day two, just out of habit. It's been hard. But anyway, I've got another 12 days in me, and I'll let you know if I actually lose any weight doing it. And if I do, I'm pretty sure that the beer and wings are going to win out anyway, but I'll let you know if I do. So on the, uh, the story that I promised to tell, I'll start it letting you know how I, I thought about this episode. I recently went on a trip to Europe with my wife. It was our 10-year anniversary, and she was awesome for saying, let's go to Europe. Let's go on a beer trip. All right, I said that, and she agreed to it. But either way, she was awesome for agreeing to it. So we went to Belgium, Germany, Switzerland with a layover at the end in Iceland. And as soon as we started this uh, trip, first thing we did, we drove up to Toronto and we got dinner at the Toronto airport at, at Lester B. Pearson Airport. And I looked at the tap list in the restaurant that we got dinner at, at the restaurant, which we, anyway, I looked at the tap list and immediately after seeing Goose Island, I started to worry. I looked at all the other taps, and I started looking them up on my phone, and my wife is asking me, what are you doing? Well, I'm looking up who owns the other taps in here, knowing that, of course, they're all going to be AB InBev. Um, and I was right. So I, I at least settled on one that I had never had before, an Alexander Keys IPA, which I can't imagine Alexander Keys listened to this, but uh, to call it an IPA is, is weird. I was doing some reading, and apparently they've been calling it an IPA for a very long time. Still, it wasn't what I was expecting. Point is, all of the beers on the taps at the restaurant which we were eating at in Toronto were InBev beers. 
it looked like you had a choice, but you really didn't. All of these beers were owned or, por- or partially owned by InBev. So they are receiving some money from the company. They are receiving some benefit from that. If not money, I'm sorry. They are receiving some benefit from that. So the first problem that I was trying to explain this to my wife, the first problem is they're pushing independence off of tap lists. They had six beers there, and of course it's easier for a bar to just say, oh, we got six craft beers, put them on. People love craft beers. Doesn't matter who they're from. Could be all InBev, who cares, right? And all the people sitting there had no idea. Okay, maybe some of them had idea. I had an idea, right? I was looking it up. But a lot of the people going through there have no idea. They see all these craft beers. They think, oh, great, they have craft beer here, not knowing that it's not independent. Maybe that doesn't matter to them. It matters to me. So anyway, having this conversation with my wife, she already hates it, hates the conversation. Because um, she's along the lines of, well, who cares? Not not only like, not only who cares, um, drink what you like, the second half of that. You know, who cares, drink what you like, which I'm somewhat on that end you can drink what you like i'm not going to yell at you for drinking something i wouldn't personally drink but i think you should care i'm i'll i'll make the argument that you should care um and i'll tell you the the rest of the argument because it was a part of a discussion for the rest of the trip and don't get me wrong we had a phenomenal trip belgium was amazing germany was great wish we would have spent more time in belgium truthfully because of the the quality of beer there uh switzerland was indescribable. Switzerland was beautiful, amazing, uh, breathtaking. Every every view that you saw, you just looked around and it was mountains and gorgeous. And I'll tell you about that in a couple of minutes here. So our first stop, we get to Belgium. And Belgium has no shortage of really, really good beer local beer we got the uh beer menus at these places where we were sitting had hundreds of beers some of them literal hundreds of beers uh separated by uh region then by brewery and then by style so i was trying to stay as local to that vicinity as i could i I wanted to before branching out a little bit and i only had so much time which is why i wish i had more time in belgium but as you're walking down the streets in Belgium, you would see the uh, the local restaurants. They have signs up for uh, cheap Belgian beers. They don't say that, but they're you know Belgian Belgian beers brewed in Belgium, and and specials. And I looked up the ones that had the specials, and almost every single one of them on a three dollar a pint uh, or three dollar a glass um, special would be owned or partially owned by InBev. And again, it's one of those things where people are walking down the street and they they have themselves a Belgian beer for $3. And you know what? Maybe that Belgian beer outside of Belgium costs significantly more. If they're selling that same beer in the United States, maybe they're selling it for, for $6. I know I'm not doing the euro uh, dollar conversion here, but maybe they're selling it for $6 because it is brewed in Belgium. But in Belgium, people are going to drink... Uh, different beers. There's a lot of choices there. So they're going to start underselling because they can, because they're they're partially owned by a large corporation like that. So of course, they're going to cut their prices in a market like that, which can't help the independents. It has to hurt the independents. That's how you put independents 
out of business is by underpricing. So all the tourists going there, seeing these prices, they can get a whole table for that price. And the argument is, sure, of course, that's great for the consumer, right? I suppose it's great for the consumer if the consumer only wants to drink that when all the other ones are out of business. Or uh, one of them that had had an interesting glass uh, wooden holder that you would hold the wooden holder and it had a bulbous bottom rather than a flat bottom so you couldn't set the glass down. I had to go into the holder and everyone thought that was fun. Uh, and I looked it up. The reason for the holder was the inventor wanted somebody or wanted carriage drivers to be able to drink it. So it would sway in the holder instead of laying flat down on something like a normal beer glass would. It would hang in the holder and it would sway with the cart. Really cool story. Partially owned by InBev. So people drinking this, whole tables of people drinking it because it's fun looking and because it's cheaper. Meanwhile, not drinking the local independent beer. So I'm making that point again to my wife. At this point, she's starting to roll her eyes which is fine. I'm not going to convince her on this. This is, I'm just explaining to you how I feel. So then we get to Germany and I want to get German beer. Why else would you go to Germany, right? So I got a Kolsch in Cologne. We went to Munich and spent three days in Munich and I was excited for just some clean German beers and a lot of it. So we, uh, in like huge liter uh, glasses. So we went to a bunch of places and had as many different beers as we could, but I purposefully stayed away from uh, the Munich breweries owned or, or partially owned by InBev. The Spaten and the Lohenbrau, uh, the Franzekiner is if I probably just totally mispronounced that. But given the opportunity to go somewhere else and get something else, I would always skip out on on the InBev beer. It was important to me that we find places that weren't InBev beer because I wanted to get a traditional beer still being made traditionally by the traditional companies that made it. Now, maybe they're all being made the same way. Maybe Spaten is still being brewed the same exact way. Just now they have a little bit more money to do so because they're partially owned by InBev. Who knows? Uh, point is, it didn't matter to me. I wanted traditional and that wasn't it. So I stayed away from it. Uh, but again, all the people going through Munich who don't know or don't care are pushing the independence out. Do I know that for a fact? No, I'm just saying that that is the obvious conclusion. If you have beer that you can sell cheaper than the independence. So next... We went to Switzerland, and I have no complaints about Switzerland. In fact, almost all the beer I had in Switzerland was either craft or was local, like homebrew. We actually had a bunch of homebrews. Some of them were sold in the cafes, uh, like with inkjet labels, which was pretty cool. And I would ask, you know, where is this from? And they were right here in the valley. We were in the Lauterbrunnen Valley. We took a cable car up to the top of the Schiltorn and ate in the revolving restaurant that you would see if you watched uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is a James Bond movie. We, we had to watch it, of course, afterwards um, with George Lazenby. George Lazenby's only James Bond movie. So we saw that. Actually, if you, if you watch that movie, a lot of where they were is exactly where I was. 
we went up to the Schildhorn, we came back down to Murin, and then walked down from Murin to Gimmelwald, a village of about 130 people. And in Gimmelwald, I noticed hops growing on the side of one of the literal Swiss chalets and a little sign that said beer garden. So we walked into the Hotel Gimmelwald and got a beer, a homebrew listed as such in the menu, a homebrewed Schwarzmunk. Um which was what they called it. We and the name of one of the uh, mountain mountain peaks, if I'm not mistaken, in the area. So we had this Schwartz beer, which was phenomenal, really good. And they let me know they have it contracted out through the local brewery. I asked about brewing it on premises, and they said they didn't have the space to handle any of the equipment. So they have it contracted out. It's their recipe, and it was great. We walked there a second day. So then we fly to. Uh, Iceland, which was a really interesting looking area. I suppose you can call it pretty. I I thought it looked like alien, <laughs> like not alien, the movie, like alien, uh, like not of this world, completely everything that we saw from where we were in Iceland was volcanic rock and whatever mosses would grow on that volcanic rock. Some of them of their very strange neon uh, green and yellow colors. So we went to the Blue Lagoon. We decided we wanted to go to a geothermal spa. And in my research, we decided that we would go to the easiest one to get to and the most commercial. Just because we figured it would be the easiest one to get transportation to and from the airport. We didn't have transportation, obviously. And we only had 18 hours, so we didn't want to risk anything. Some of the other ones had really interesting stories, like when you get to Iceland, you'll need to hire a Jeep and a GPS because there are no roads to get to this lagoon. Like, okay, we'll go to the one that, that we can get to easy. So we went to Blue Lagoon and had the best dinner probably of our entire lives at the Lava Restaurant at Blue Lagoon. But on the way there, I start thinking, all right, this is a this is a commercial Endeavor. This is the largest uh, geothermal spa in Iceland. There has to be some sort of temperature regulation. Either they're warming the water artificially or they're cooling the water artificially. Somebody who's making this much money off of it can't be leaving that up to chance. That's me being cynical. So I started looking it up, and the actual story is... It is geothermically heated, but the water that's coming up is first used to create uh, electricity, which is great. It's a renewable energy source. I love that idea. In fact, that's, that's done across the island. Uh, I think the stat I was seeing was, if not 100, close to 100% renewable energy in Iceland. So it was cool that they're using the geothermal... Um, oh. Uh, well, not well, geyser, geysers when it comes out. Either way, they're using the geothermically heated water to create energy. And then they're taking that same water after it's been used, not contaminated, just used, and then dumping it into a man-made lagoon. And that was the part that got me, that this area was built to house this wastewater. And again, it's not contaminated water. I don't mean to use the word waste. It's just used water. The used heated water dumped into this uh, 
man-made lagoon. Again, it's the man-made part that got me. So it, it took some of the authenticity away from me. So, of course, I asked my wife, do, I just found something out. Do you want to know about the heating here? And I said, I'll let you know that it is absolutely uh, water from a geothermal uh, well. And she said, no. Will it ruin it for me? No, I don't want to know. And then she, of course, after a couple of seconds, like, okay, tell me. So I told her exactly what I just said. And I asked her, does that ruin it for you? And she's like, well, no, not really. And I said, if given the choice, would you have preferred to have gone to a naturally occurring lagoon? And the answer is yes. And I think that's the point I've been trying to make when I'm arguing with somebody, and I don't like to do it, so I don't, I don't really argue. When I'm trying to explain to somebody why I won't drink anything from InBev um, or why I, I try to not drink anything from InBev, sometimes I don't know, sometimes it's the only choice, sometimes I don't want to be that guy. Um, but if, if at all possible, I will avoid InBev for that exact reason. Because, it's no, it, because it cheapens it. If that makes sense, it's, it cheapens it. It not only does it take away from the authenticity, but, but sometimes some of the things that they do in their beer pricing and, and their advertising and everything else is just bad for the independent craft beer industry. So that's my problem with InBev. If you listen to this whole thing, uh, thank you. Certainly didn't have to, (laughs) um, but I wanted to get my, my political rant uh, actually out there and written down so that if you want to argue with me, you absolutely can. I'm on Twitter, at WNYBrews. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on YouTube.com forward slash WNYBrews. Email me if you want to argue about it. That's fine. Scott at WNYBrews. I'll even have Jan if you want to do a face-to-face thing. I, I promise. Not a, not a shouting. Not an actual argument. Just a discussion about why you think certain beers shouldn't shouldn't fall under that um for example uh bourbon county i don't i don't drink it any goose island beer like that so thank you for listening thank you to andy dvornsky for being the first patron if you would please also uh think about maybe supporting the podcast so it can become a little bit more revenue neutral and i will leave you once again with the rearview ramblers and you can't buy beer with condolences. Check them out at rearviewramblers.com. I'll see you on episode 48 of West New York Brews. And thank you.